hello. You are listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Konnichiwa. Daishata wonta dum. Kosetato. Tatasa yomo tsetato. Life in Paradise podcast. Tada. Hi. Anybody want to guess the language? That really wasn't Japanese. It was just me trying to sound Japanese. And I don't know who these people are. I've been getting random emails from like random people, I guess, who they listen to the podcast. And they're giving me a hard time for like talking like other people. I get it. They don't know me, but that's okay. Maybe they'll stick around to know me. If you know me, you'll know that that's just what I do. I don't, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean. That I think less of people who speak with accents. In fact, I, I admire people who speak multiple languages. And I can find humor in just about anything. So I can find humor in accents even, believe it or not. You know, it's crazy. We have, we have this thing called a sense of humor. And it actually is a sense, right? So we don't all see things the same way. We don't all touch things the same way. We don't all smell things the same way. And we don't all find the same things funny. Crazy concept, right? But I joke a lot about different cultural differences. And I grow to like cockroaches. I'm just kidding. That's a Joe Biden line. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. Uh, but yeah, I, I think cultural differences can be laughed about and they can be joked about. And it doesn't have to be derogatory. And if you can't joke about your culture with other people, uh, you know, you might want to do some, some introspection, as they say. But you should be proud of your culture. You should be happy with it because that's all you got. You can't change it. So you might as well embrace it. And I don't know if you can hear what's going on behind me, but I'm in the middle of a hurricane. You hear all that ruckus? So I'll let the haters make me famous. I'm going to keep doing voices. If I think it's funny, I'm going to do it. You know what? That's it. This is a podcast. This is not a public radio announcement on political correctness. This is a free outlet. I'm going to do what I want to do. If I find something funny, I'm going to say it. You know, we're becoming more and more, I don't want to say afraid, but unlikely or unwilling to say what we think, uh, even if it's something minor or something that's just what we think is funny. I don't know how we got to that point, but I'm, I'm getting, I, and I, I think it's just a piling on of, of political correctness. But, you know, I've always been outspoken. I've always said what I thought, but uh, I, and I'm going to continue being that way. I don't see a reason to limit your thoughts, provided they're respectful, right? I mean, obviously, I don't want to offend people that I care about or my friends. You know, that should be uh, that should go unsaid is that we shouldn't want we shouldn't want to offend people we care about. Now, if we state facts and people choose to be offended, well, that's on them. You know, like you shouldn't be scared to talk about facts or statistics because that's not disrespectful or racist or generalizing or tasteless people choose to be offended people choose to be offended and a lot of times there are groups out there who will be offended on behalf of people that they think are offended and if that's not crazy i don't know what is but i'm not here to talk about all that today 
here to announce that I made it safely back to Texas. And the weekend was abruptly ended with a hurricane. You know, now at the brewery at New Asus Brewing Company, according to our governor, we are only allowed to sell beer to go, which that might be changing soon, not because of something he did, but because of something we did. For right now, we're only selling beer to go. So they said, okay, breweries, well, you're still a bar, but you, you can sell beer to go because, you know, we don't want to just tell you you have to close your doors. So we're limping along, selling beer to go. The weekends are about the only time people come to buy beer. Well, here's a hurricane. Got to shut down. So no beer selling this weekend. No beer making this weekend. Only hurricane watching. I made a big batch of chicken and dumplings and I ruined it. Dumped too much pepper in there. I was shaking the pepper, shaking it, shaking it. And then boom, the lid popped off of the pepper shaker. Man, all the pepper went into the chicken and dumplings. Boy, I was sour. And the dumplings were really hard. I don't know. I don't know why. I've never made chicken and dumplings before. I just found a random Paula Deen recipe and copied it. And my dumplings were rock hard. If you know what makes dumplings hard, please let me know. And like I said, I'm in the middle of a hurricane. So I'm having to, I'm having to stop the recording when it gets really loud, like the rain in the windows. So if you can hear it, my apologies. I'm going to try to work through it. And maybe cut it out afterwards, but it shouldn't be too bad. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a light hurricane. Hit about ten thirty this morning, maybe eleven o'clock. It's just kind of dumping a bunch of rain, a little bit of wind, nothing major, uh, other than blowing a bicycle over in the backyard. I've sustained no damage. The power just went off at the brewery, which is right next to the bay. It's like two blocks back from the water, uh, but it's not surprising. The power goes off quite a bit when it rains so uh, we have monitor deal on our phone that lets us look see if the power's on or off so power's off right now we have some beer that could go bad if the power doesn't come back on but we have a couple days so i suspect everything will be sorted out within 24 hours but yeah i made it back from uh, tennessee i'm back in corpus christi tx um it was a good drive back. I downloaded a couple new audiobooks, so those kept me occupied. And when I get sleepy, I eat sunflower seeds, but I just went ahead and ate sunflower seeds the entire time for two days straight, like 17 hours worth of driving. So when I got back, I had a two-pound bag of sunflower seeds that was empty, and the inside of my cheek of gum was all cut up. It felt like someone was walking around inside there with a weed eater. So I gargled with some salt water, and that seemed to speed along the healing, but... It's not quite healed up yet, but getting close, getting close. It was worth it, though. Kept me awake. Ranch-flavored sunflower seeds. You know, what's more American than that? What's more American than going to a gas station that's like 5,000 square feet and having to choose from like 16 different flavors of sunflower seeds? I love this country. I love it. There's not many places where you can have that. You can't have that selection. Not in Nicaragua. You stop at a gas station in Nicaragua and you ask for sunflower seeds... I suspect it'd go something like this. It would be in Spanish, but I'm going to do it in English. Hey, excuse me, sir. Do you guys happen to have any sunflower seeds or know where I could buy some? No. And that would be it. You would have no sunflower seeds. Speaking of sunflower seeds, I got a joke for you. What did the elephant say to the naked man? Whoa. How do you breathe through that little thing? If I ever get arrested, which I don't think I will, I, 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 would, I would bet money that I will never be arrested. But if I do ever get arrested, I've already planned out what I'm going to say. When they read me my Miranda rights, they're going to say, you have the right to remain silent, blah, 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 blah. 
Anything you say can and will be held against you in the court of law. I'm going to look at him. I'm going to sit there for a second. I'm going to pause. I'm going to go, boobs. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say until I talk to my lawyer. Okay. Now I'm going to, I'm going to read you a line, and I want you to think who said it. Your two options are Donald Trump or Kim Jong-un. Okay? So I'm going to read you some quotes, and I want you to guess who said it. Okay? The concept of shaking hands is absolutely terrible and statistically I've been proven right over time. Who said that? If you guessed Donald Trump, you would be right. Donald Trump said that, not Kim Jong-un. Here's another one. The military might of a country represents its national strength. Only when it builds up its military might in every way can it develop into a thriving country. That would be Kim Jong-un, not Donald Trump. Good guess. Next one. The concept of global warming was created by our enemies in order to make our manufacturing non-competitive. That would be Donald Trump. How about this one? The days are gone forever when our enemies could blackmail us with nuclear bombs. Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un said that. To be truthful, if there were an election, people would pick me. Why? Maybe because I'm so good looking. If you guessed Kim Jong-un, you would be wrong. That was Donald Trump. Donald Trump said that. What I like most about those is thinking about how, like, there's a specific group of people who are going to be so offended or so mad that our president's quotes are interchangeable with Kim Jong-un. Lil Kim, I love that name for him. Lil Kim, that's the best name anyone's ever given him. Um, yeah, I thought that was a, a funny thing to do. Lots of those quotes could go either way. Speaking of Trump, today I'm going to talk about immigration. I'm going to spend a good amount of time on it. I'm not going to talk about much else, but I wanted to give my perspective. Once again, this is something that is a huge spectrum, right? So... We find ourselves on two teams arguing about border control or no border control or immigration reform or no immigration reform. There's so much to it than that. It's just it's mind boggling that people can argue without delving into more of the details. So that's what I'm here to do. Well, let's first talk about what borders mean. So what's the point of having a border? What's what's the point of having a boundary around your house, right? We have to have lines to distinguish where things start and stop. If there were no borders, there would be no countries because people could just move freely. They could do whatever they wanted to do and they could just bring their problems to us or, or take our good things away or bring our problems to other people. So it, unless you're going to have one big ruling governing body for the entire world, you got to have borders. So if you disagree and you think there should be no borders, like borders shouldn't exist, then there's absolutely no point in listening to the rest of this podcast. And that's kind of what I'm going to do along the way is weed out the people. I'm going to try to find the critical points at which people go astray from my ideology, and then they can just bail. There's no point in wasting their time. 
And, and, and it's like I always say, like there's a huge spectrum there. The goal in any kind of conversation or commentary or, or opinion giving or getting in my experience should be to locate that point at which our opinions are different and then figure out why. So throughout this this monologue of me talking to my computer, you know, if, if you if you can't agree with things like we need borders, then there's no point listening. So that's the first point. Like if you if you think that, yeah, we could get by with no borders, just one big world government, then, hey, we're too far apart. There's no point in even talking about this. So you can go back to the Simpsons. I'm going to keep going. There's a reason why the U.S. has to guard our borders, or we should be guarding our borders. And that's because lots and lots and lots of people want to come here. And throughout history, they've been able to come pretty easily. So even if we're not allowing people currently to to migrate to the U.S., we've been pretty lenient with our borders. If you disagree, go to a foreign country and see how they treat their borders because people don't just cross them. There's big repercussions. You end up going to jail, prison. They'll put you in some kind of camp and work you to death. We don't do that. So it's necessary for us to limit the number of people that come here. Why can't we just have an open border? Well, we just kind of talked about that. But if we just let anyone move here who wanted to move here, the influx would be astronomical. So what would that look like? Let's just take Mexico. And and there are certain countries that wouldn't send people, like Canada, Norway, Sweden, Denmark. There's lots of countries that, that won't send many people. But there's also lots of countries that will send tons of people. And when I say the countries send them, obviously I'm referring to people choosing to go on their own, right? So... Let's just take Mexico. It's an easy example. They're right there close to us. And we just say, hey, if you want to move here, you can move here. What would happen? A huge portion of their population would pick up and move to the U.S. They would make their way all around the U.S. They would go where they had family. They would try to find work. But that big of a population jump is extremely hard on infrastructure and social systems and even food supply chains, we're not, we're not set up for those types of jumps, right? Everything we do in this country, all of the, the industries that we have, they're operating right at capacity, right? So there's not, a, there's not a bunch of extra. There's not a bunch of surplus. Maybe food. There may be a little bit of food surplus, but we've got it pretty tight. And when I say that, I mean, there's people who waste food, but that's the final, final consumer, right? So when I say that there's no food surplus, I mean people who... Produce food, process food, distribute food, transport food. There's no waste there. It's, it's moving all the time. Storage facilities turn over as fast as they can. There's no, there's no space for inefficiency. And that's because everyone is competing to give the best price. So if you have a massive influx of people, it's not a good thing. Not to mention, what does that do to Mexico, right? So all of their sales tax, all of their income tax, everything that they that they rely on people to contribute is going to be gone. So now you're going to be left there with a shortage of money, right? People that they left their jobs, they left everything they had, they left it all behind. So now who's going to do those jobs? No one. So what are they going to do? They're going to have to raise the price to try to get people to do those jobs, but they don't have enough labor pool to manage it. So it's a it's a bad deal for both both directions. Bad deal for Mexico, bad deal for US. Are we still on the same page, right? We're still going there. So, so far, we've established that you have to have borders if you're going to have different countries, and that we have to limit the number of people who come in. We can't just let as many people come in who wants to. Still with me on that? Good. So imagine if you, at your house, had a plumbing problem, and 
all of a sudden you look outside, there's like 50 plumbers all outside your house. And you, have, you need to get your plumbing fixed, so you're going to need one of them. How do you go about picking which plumber to let in? Well, luckily, you're in the position where you can pick anyone you want to pick. You could pick the, the most expensive guy. You can pick the cheapest guy. You could pick the guy who says he'll get it done the fastest. You can pick the best-looking guy. You can pick the funniest guy. doesn't matter how you pick. They all want to get in there and do the work. It's no different than the U.S. People want to be here. Of the people that want to be here, we get to pick and choose because this is our house, right? We can't let them all in. We have to keep them out, and now we get to pick. So we should use that to our advantage. We should, we should say, hey, we need engineers. We need laborers. Whatever it is, we have the ability to select whoever we want, and we do. We do for the most part. And I also forgot to touch on uh, one more thing about opening the border to Mexico. If we were just to allow anyone to come, we wanted to come. What would happen is the quality of life would end up somewhere between where Mexico is now and where we are now. And so it would average out because people would flow over until it got to a point where it was better in Mexico or close to it. Then they would stop coming. So it's just like two barrels connected by a pipe. If you start filling up one barrel it's going to overflow into the pipe until they get to the same level, and then they're going to fill up at the same time. So it would be no different than that. We would just uh, we would let people come over here until the working conditions and everything were similar to Mexico. Then they would quit coming over here, and then that would be it. That would be equal. Now, quite possibly, all of Mexico could come here. And I think one of the issues that people don't think about when they're arguing about this stuff is they don't look at statistics. So just a quick search. So I found a, um, a report from the Homeland Security that's like, oh, I don't remember the official title, but it's all about um, immigration and uh, preventing illegal migration. It's a 68-page report that comes out once a year. I found some pretty good statistics in it. And typically, you know, statistics that are published by the Washington Tribune, I don't trust. But if it's published by the, a government agency, I tend to believe the statistics I don't trust the government with my money, but I do trust them more than anyone else when it comes to compiling statistics. So in 2017, and they don't have anything more recent than that that I could find. So in 2017, there were 700,000 nationalizations in the U.S. That means that we made 700,000 people American citizens. Now, it may not sound like much. But it's the fifth highest in history, so going back to 1917. It was the fifth highest. Reagan was the first highest when he did the amnesty um, deal in the 80s. And so, yeah, I don't know. It, this could be a lag from, from the Obama era, but I just thought it was interesting that it was the fifth highest in history. 2017 was right there when everyone, when everyone was screaming about the border. You know, we got we to gotta let more people in. We can't lock them up. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But... You know, 700,000, that's, that's a lot of people. And if you don't think it's a lot, just remember, it's, fifth, it's the fifth most ever. We also had 1.1 million lawful permanent residents created. So that lawful permanent resident, that is a green card. That gives you the ability to do everything except vote, I think. Like vote and run for president. So you get all the social systems. You get the social security number, you get to work, you get to pay into social security, you get to go to free clinics if you need to, you get to apply for welfare, you get all of the same 
access to social systems as Americans, and this is awarded for life, okay? So in 2017, was the fourth most lawful permanent residence created. It was 1.1 million. So between the naturalizations, the creation of citizens, and the um, lawful permanent residence, that's almost 2 million people that we gave homes to, that we created. And, and you know what? This, these numbers don't account for children under the age of 18 who, who come with parents. So this, they're not even counted in the, either one of these numbers. So you can assume that it's, it's quite a bit higher. So that's the fourth highest in history. 1.1 million green cards is the fourth highest in history under Trump's administration. Whether you like the guy or not, who cares? Just think about the irony of that. Like 2017 is when everyone was going crazy about the borders and they legalized almost 2 million people, far more than any other country around the world. And the average wait time for the naturalization is like eight years. So, you know, it takes eight years to get in line and wait and become a citizen. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's fine. I mean, it shows your commitment. It gives you the opportunity to get into trouble, cause problems. You know, it's like a little probationary period. Hey, you want to come here? You got to wait eight years. If you want to be a resident, you can come here without having to wait eight years. You might have to wait a little bit of time, and that's fine too. We get to make the rules. It's up to us. It's our house. You can't admit that we shouldn't be selecting the best of the best people. Now, now, that doesn't mean that we exclude low-wage workers. By all means, they have a place in line, too. They're willing to work for far less than we are, and that's okay. There's no problem with taking advantage of that. I don't mean taking advantage of them as humans, blah, blah, blah. I mean seizing on the fact that they are willing to work for less money. So if you can admit that we need borders, and you can admit that lots and lots of people want to be here, and you can admit that we have to slow down the number of people who come in here, then we're still on the same page, right? And if I've lost you up to this point, shoot me an email. Let me know where, where you disagree, because I'd be interested to hear it. To me, all this stuff is a no-brainer. Like there's, I don't see how any of this could be negotiable. But if you feel that it could, I would love to hear from you. So now we're at the point where we need to figure out how to limit the entries, So we've got a bunch of people who want to be here. There's really only two ways that that people can be here illegally. And that's by overstaying a temporary visa or by sneaking across the border. Other than that, there's really no other way to... I mean, I guess there's an oddball chance that you could, you know, be scheduled for deportation and then, you know, basically jump bail at the last minute. I guess that's all an option, but... Generally speaking, you're either overstaying a visa or you came here across the border in secret. So how do we stop it? How do we stop those two types? So let's talk about the overstays. So that of the two ways is the more difficult and more expensive and less efficient way. Basically, you're plucking needles from haystacks. You're looking for people that get a traffic ticket. Then you have to do the research to figure out if they're a citizen. If they're not, then you got to go find them. Then you got to transport them to the border. They got to process their paperwork. They got to put them on a plane or a bus or something. And so it's just highly inefficient and highly expensive because you're going after them. You're chasing them. So to me, that should be left on the back burner. I mean, that, that could be handled 
in the form of, you know, voter registration cards, driver's license, whatever. But even then, to come put handcuffs on someone and send them away because they're trying to register to vote and they weren't here legally, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying it's not efficient, it's not a good look, and it's going to end up costing more money than having those people here. So that leaves us with stopping people who are coming here secretly. Sometimes they come in trucks across the border. I get that. They like weld them inside of the panels of an 18-wheeler. But for the most part, they're crossing with um, coyotes. And if you're not from Texas, the term coyote is just the guy who organizes the border crossing. He knows people on both sides. He has people that are paid off. These guys are not good people. They're, uh, they're human traffickers. Uh, there's all kinds of stories about girls being raped along the way. And it's a long, treacherous journey. I've, I've talked to plenty of guys who have made it. In construction, I mean... 90% of the guys working on residential home sites in, in Texas are undocumented illegal workers. So it's not, a, it's not a fun thing to do. It's expensive and it's dangerous. But they do it because, in their opinion, it's worth it. So how do we stop them? Well, I have a friend of mine that flew uh, spy drones basically for the government up and down the border. 24 hours a day, the drone was in the air. And I'm not talking like the little quadcopter Amazon drone. These are the big government jet plane looking things. He said all he did was fly that thing up and down the border all day with a um, infrared camera looking for people. They found people, then they would radio back to, you know, the, the land base and say, here they are. And then they would make the decision whether or not to go for them. He said lots of times they wouldn't go for them. They were in the woods too far. They're too far buried, but they knew where they would come out and they would sometimes wait for them and catch them coming out. He said lots of times they knew they were going to die. They knew those people were going to die in the bush. And unfortunately, we don't have, and I know it sucks. I mean, it's not something fun to think about, but it happens, you know, and I don't think we should be risking our lives to save them, the, of our Border Patrol members to save them. They made, a, they made a decision. They took the risk. I kind of feel like it's on them. So that's kind of another inefficient, expensive, time-consuming way that doesn't prove to be all that effective. And what I'm getting at, is that I think the most effective way is a wall, is a, is a physical barrier. And, and for whatever reason, people, they have this in their head. They can't tell you why. We, just, we should not put up walls. We shouldn't have walls. I cannot figure out why. I don't know why people think that. They just have this preconceived notion in their minds, we shouldn't have walls. We didn't have walls when immigrants came here in the 40s and 30s and 20s. Yeah, I know. Because we didn't need them. We didn't, we didn't need them then. And so, from my examples, can we admit that a wall is probably the most efficient way to keep people out who want to be here? If you think there's a, a more efficient way, I'd love to hear it. I think a wall is the most efficient way. Now, I still don't know. I haven't done like a cost benefit analysis and I'm not going to because that can be a, that can be left to the, the politicians. But the cost of the wall, I don't know how long it would take to pay for the cost if we were chasing them down one by one, chasing them with drones. I think that the wall will pay for itself in a short amount of time just in what we spend to chase these guys down, catch them and, and deport them. Um, and if it's just if it's if it's 40 billion dollars, I think Trump said like 10 billion. Let's just say that it comes in four times higher. 40 billion dollars, like in the terms of our <laughs> especially in today's world where we're just printing money. But 
in terms of our, our federal budget, $40 billion is nothing. And, and that's what I couldn't understand why people got so worked up about it. I'm like, just let the orange man build his wall and we'll know if it works. You know, like we've got to do something. And that's the thing where I think the breakdown is that people, people say, no, we don't have to do something. It's not that bad. Well, they don't see how much we're spending keeping out the amount that we are. You know, they just see this new wall idea as, as, a, as a problem, but they don't understand that, hey, we've been keeping people out for a long time. It just hasn't been very efficient. So in order to, to, to create efficiency and to spend less over the long run, we build the wall and we stop people. And I just don't, I don't understand how people got so emotional. You know, the whole babies in cages things like, well, we, you know, we have to have detainment centers because if these people get across, now they're in our possession. Like, what do we do? Okay. We just go back and turn them loose. No, the Mexican government needs to know who they are, where they came from, what they're doing there. We need to know that we need to process them so that if it happens again, we'll know who they are. We can track the data. We need to know if the kids that are with them are actually their kids or if they just use them to say, hey, I have kids. I'm looking for a better life. So we have to detain them. We have to process them and then we have to return them. And we can't just take a kid that's with a, a family and just turn them back loose with them when we don't even know who they are. You know, these people that, that are collecting money to take people across the border illegally, they're not good people. They may be willing to go buy a kid or go rent a kid in order to help some family get across for the right amount of money. And we can't just take those kids and send them back out into the wilderness with some strangers. And so the, the biggest feedback is you can't separate families. You can't separate these people. And so I, I thought about that and I'm like, well, how, what, 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 is it, what would it look like? So let's just say, okay, we're not going to separate them. We have these big giant dormitory style rooms right? With bunk beds. We don't have bedrooms. This isn't a hotel. These are big temporary facilities, makeshift that are fully air conditioned with running water and provide food, which is far more than any other country gives their illegal immigrant detainees. I guarantee you. So they're not set up for, for family units. They're big general population. When, when the immigration first started or the illegal immigration first became popular, it wasn't families who were crossing. It was single people, people coming, looking for work, possibly occasionally husband and wife. But for the most part, it was um, not families. Okay, so we've got this huge dormitory of rooms. They probably are separated between male and female, I would guess. I don't know for sure. But let's just say that they're not. Let's just say that they put all the male and all the female people together in the same big dormitory. So you've got a mother and a father and a little boy and a little girl. Let's just say 10 and seven. If you were in their situation, would you want your child sleeping in a dorm with a bunch of strangers, a bunch of men or women that you don't know who could potentially do something to harm your child? No, of course not. So maybe it would be best if we just separated them until we got them processed. Number one, to make sure that those kids actually belong to those parents. And number two, to make sure there's nothing illicit going on. 
And I realize it's a sacrifice to let your kids go. I, I would imagine that would be very, very tough. But I think it's our job to explain to them, like, hey, look, here's the deal. You can be with them during the day, all day. You guys can hang out together. But at nighttime, we just we need you guys to be in separate places. And here's why. I think anyone would understand that. But what I don't get are these pictures of, like, kids inside of, like, a little a fenced-in area. And they're like, oh, my God, they're putting babies in cages. No, they're not putting babies in cages. That's nowhere near a literal sentence. There might be a fence that divides groups of people, but there's a reason that they need to be divided. And if you're not going to use a fence, what are you going to use? You're going to use a wall? You're going to frame up an expensive wall out of wood and sheetrock? You're going to do that? Okay. You're going to pay more in taxes. Just be ready. Look, our border detention facilities are way nicer than the conditions that they lived in where they came from. I'd be willing to bet. Of course, I didn't see where their houses were, but I'd be willing to bet that they're nicer. They're climate controlled. Most people in Mexico don't have air conditioning. There's no leaky roofs. They're getting food. They're getting shelter. They're getting a bed. I mean, it's not the Shangri-La, but it's not prison. You know, you go get detained in Nicaragua and let me know. Let me know how that feels. I can tell you exactly what it feels like. Prison, because they don't, they don't have a, a nice air-conditioned illegal immigrant detention facility. They just take you to jail. You just go to the jail with the criminals. So, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's something that we need to control, right? And the whole, like, refugee thing. I mean, listen, you, you can't say you want refugee status from a country where people go on vacation. And that's my rule. Syrians, yes, refugee. Listen, there's people still going to Mexico on vacation. It's not that bad there, okay? The government hasn't turned on the people. There's no civil war. There's a bunch of cartel violence. But if we had to let people into our country every time there was civil unrest or cartel violence, our country would be overflowing. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the most effective way to protect our borders and to keep people out for the least amount of money? Because that's a factor we haven't even talked about. I mean, if we had all the money in the world, it wouldn't be an issue. We could just have, you know, guys flying around with jetpacks and picking up people and taking them back over and dropping them off. But we don't, we don't have that. We have to use our resources. And so I just think that, and like I said, I haven't crunched the numbers, but a wall or some type of physical barrier seems to be the most effective way. And maybe it's not absolute. Maybe it's not the most effective way, but it is an affected way. And before you can go crying about whether or not we should do it, you should do the research and figure out how much it's going to cost and how much it's going to save us. And then make your decision about the wall. But I, I feel like that a lot of people, you know, Anything Trump says, they're going to go against it just, just to go against it, right? Trump could say, I got the vaccine for coronavirus. Oh, you son of a bitch. You stole it or you didn't. I'm not taking it. I'm not buying it. You're trying to price gouge. You're just trying to make money. You know, that's what it would be. It would be like, you're just greedy and you just created that so that you can make more money. Okay, well, here it is. Take it if you want. Don't if you don't. I don't know. Once again, I just feel like things should be talked through. And not screamed about on social media because it doesn't get you anywhere. And, and really, is this that big of a hill to die on? Like, whether or not we build a wall, is that really 
Like, we have it so good. We have it so good in our country right now. People want to get here, and we're trying to figure out how to keep them out. And if we use a wall, we're going to fight about it. <laughs> That's par for the course. That just goes to show you how great things are. Things are so great. Everyone wants to come here. We need to figure out a way to keep them out. And we're fighting about what's the most effective way. And no one knows anything about anything other than they hate Orange Cheeto Man face. All right, speaking of Cheetos, I got to go round up some vittles. I don't think I can eat the uh, over-peppered chicken and dumplings. So I'm going to round up some supper, some vittles. I hope today's podcast wasn't too boring, but I felt like we needed to talk about kids in cages. Thanks again for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Keep it tranquilo. Mexican-Americans don't like to just get into gang fights. They like flowers and music and white girls named Debbie, too. Mexican-Americans are named Chata and Chela and Chema and have a son-in-law named Jeff. Mexican-Americans don't like to get up early in the morning, but they have to, so they do it real slow. Mexican-Americans love education, so they go to night school and they take Spanish and get a B. Yeah, leave that in. Mexican-Americans love their nanas and their nonos and their ninas and their ninos. Mexican-Americans don't like to go to the movies where the dude has to wear contact lenses to make his blue eyes brown cause don't it make my brown eyes blue and that's all I got how do you like it? oh that's good that's yeah. it's like a protest tune man yeah I, I dig that man yeah. but you know while you were singing that I, I wrote another tune oh yeah? yeah it's, it's like the same thing only different you wanna hear it?